You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. It's a special edition, a mailbag episode where we're answering your recruiting questions that you left on Apple Podcast Reviews. So remember, if you want to have your question answered on a future episode, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your recruiting question. We're going to be joined by Bud Elliott, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, to talk about Tennessee and where they stack up currently in the 24-7 Sports Composite Team rankings. Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins will also join the show to break down everything in the Pac-12 recruiting landscape, including Ohio State sneaking into the state of Washington and trying to add to their number one rated class in the country. And then we'll wrap things up with Barton Simmons, who gives us an overview of what the rankings process is like right now in the 2021 cycle. But before we get to that, let's begin with the kickoff. The premier evaluation event of the summer kicked off this last week and wrapped up with five-star quarterback Caleb Williams being named the Elite 11 Finals MVP. It's the start of what's going to be a big week for Williams, who's expected to announce his college decision this coming weekend with Oklahoma being the favorite right now in the 24-7 sports crystal ball. There was a lot of other big-time performances. Among the Elite 11 finalists that made the list was Ty Thompson. He's a four-star quarterback from the state of Arizona, currently committed to Oregon. Really liked what we saw out of him in film and on tape based on the video that was distributed during the live feed as well on Instagram Live. Ty Thompson showed off a live arm and has Oregon Ducks fans really excited. Really like what J.J. McCarthy was able to do, the five-star quarterback, IMG Academy, who's committed to Michigan. The other prospects that were named to the Elite 11 were Notre Dame commit Tyler Buckner, Baylor commit Chiron Drones, Missouri commit Tyler Macon, North Carolina commit Drake May, USC commit Miller Moss, Ohio State commit Kyle McCord, LSU commit Garrett Nussmeyer, Tennessee commit Caden Salter, and Georgia commit Brock Vandergriff. Now, I do want to direct you over to 24-7 Sports for a complete breakdown of the Elite 11 Finals. Barton Simmons had a great breakdown, a takeaways column of what he saw out of the participants, so make sure to go and check that out. Now, let's get into the mailbag. To kick things off, we've brought in Bud Elliott. He's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. Bud, how are you doing? Blair, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk a little, little college football, a little college football recruiting. Yeah, and and so we want to get into the mailbag. It, it's uh, our first one, and we had a lot of really good questions in, in our review section over at Apple, Apple Podcasts. So if you, the listener, wants to get your recruiting question answered by our team of analysts, a reminder to put in your question as a five-star review, and uh, we'll do our best to get to it at our next edition of, of this episode. Let, let's kick things off, bud, with a really good one and a fun one, I, I think, from R-D-E-F-A-L-L-E. Uh, -E. He says, good content. I do enjoy it. I'm wondering, though, how can you have a recruiting podcast and not once mention the current number two class in the country, Tennessee? It's strange, to be honest, he says. Uh, Tennessee is now the number four class. And, you know, I, I thought it was a fun way to start this one because 
it dives into our recruiting rankings, but it also, I, I, I think, maybe points to the, the content in terms of how you cover recruiting. So right now, Tennessee is number four in the rankings, uh, but you had a really good and, and really thorough in-depth breakdown on the staying power of some of these schools that are atop the recruiting rankings. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Blair. So yeah, I, I work on this series uh, that, that I do called Staying Power. And essentially, I, I look at some of these teams uh, who are off to a hot start, evaluate what they've done so far, and, and then kind of apply the historical context uh, of, of what they would need to do uh, to finish where they're at or, or potentially even a little bit better. And, and eight weeks ago, Tennessee was uh, at number two. Uh, and I concluded ultimately that uh, they, they had basically zero shot to, to finish uh, number two. And, and, and I got there kind of in the following ways. And I think most of this analysis probably still holds, right? I mean, they're, they're number four now, but, but their, their class hasn't changed that much. You just had some teams acquire some better players around them. Uh, so if, if you're going to stick at number four, you need to have about 295 points in the early signing period era. Uh, Tennessee right now is at 23 commits, and uh, they have 260 points, basically. Uh, you you kind of need to sign like 20-plus blue-chip guys to, to, be, to be up there in, in, in that 234 uh, range. And right now, Tennessee uh, has 10 blue-chip guys, uh, but they have 23 commitments. So they have 13 guys on our composite rankings who are not four or five star players. If you're going to finish number two nationally, you you can really only take about two or three, three stars. Again, Tennessee has 13. Uh, And and we're not saying these are bad players. We're just saying like, these are the differences between a number two class, a three class, a four class, you know, five class or or a 10 class. Additionally, if you're going to be in that range, you, you almost need to go, and win double-digit games in the regular season, right? Not including a bowl, because bowls are played, for the most part, after the early signing period. I went back and looked, uh, and basically all those teams that finish in that 2-3-4 range have won 10-plus games in the regular season. Tennessee's Vegas number right now, 7.5. So most likely records for the Vols, probably 7 or 8 wins in the regular season. Maybe 6, maybe 9. 10's a bit of a stretch. They have a really good class, but at the same time, I think the reason why we're not talking about them in that way is because we know historical context and we know they're not going to finish where they're at right now. I think they have maybe an outside shot to finish number five, but more than likely uh, it, it'll be a top 10 class if things are going or you know, if things continue to progress as they are right now. But, but stuff can certainly change. Yeah, and I think obviously you know right now they are the number four class they have some some really good talent I, I do like some of the quality that they have right now based on their quantity I think it's what has them up there uh, but you look at a, a linebacker like Terrence Lewis a five-star prospect who they beat a lot of really top schools for Dylan Brooks is a four-star defensive end from the state of Alabama who they also beat a, a lot of really good schools for uh, Caden Salter was just named to the Lee 11. Uh, following his finals performance, he he's committed there and and is really doing a good job of trying to get other guys there and 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 it can improve. This is a class that can get better if Tennessee is able to prove that they're also making strides on the field, not only in the recruiting department and the offices and in that effort trying to get some of the top talent there, but once they're on the field and they're able to maybe get to that ten win mark, like you said, 
uh, it's going to, you know, as much as I hate to say it, it's going to create a, a, a good problem for them. They're going to be able to be attractive to some better recruits, maybe replace some of the guys that are currently committed. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of the game. And I feel like Tennessee uh, can get better, can get more quality in that class. Completely agree. Now, it, when I wrote this article, Tennessee fans told me, for the most part, or a lot of them did, that uh, that, that a lot of their players who we have as three stars will will end up as four stars. And I said, I, I'm a reasonable guy. I, I think it's possible that a couple could make the jump. It's also possible that a couple four stars could could drop down to three star status. It's it's not likely that you know they, they go from uh, 13 kids we have rated as three stars to what three rated as three stars and, 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 you know, 10 of them get the bump to four stars. So if they're going to improve their class, ultimately, like you said, it's not something we love to talk about because it's a negative thing, but they're going to have to push out some kids who are, are not the, t- the quality of player that normally ends up in, in, in a top five class in the numbers uh, that, that they currently have these guys, but they do have some top targets you know, that, that they're in it for. Like they're, they're still recruiting a, a Marius Mims, right? They're, they're recruiting, uh, a McKinstry at corner. They're, they're they're certainly recruiting it, and I think are in it uh, for for the linebacker out of Georgia, uh, Mondin. And those are the type of guys that can really, if you play around with the class calculator tool that we have on twenty four seven sports dot com, those are some guys who can really uh, r- really bump up your class a whole lot. And I think Jeremy Pruitt's doing a good job there on on the recruiting trail. Uh, and I don't mean this to be a negative segment, but the the question saying, hey, why don't we talk about Tennessee more? I, I think it's because we realize that. You know, for the most part, like their ranking uh, was largely due to quantity over quality, especially early on in the process. Yeah, we're joined by Bud Elliott. He's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. You could follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3 Bud, before we let you go, another question. This one's from Gunner955. He says, do you think Leonard Taylor has a chance to be the number one recruit? Leonard Taylor being a, a five-star defense tackle from... Miami, Palmetto. Uh, so right now, number four in the top 24-7. Uh, he's behind JT Tuimoloau, a strong side defensive end from the state of Washington. Uh, behind number two, Corey Foreman, strong side defensive end from Corona Centennial. And behind number three, JC Latham, who is a five-star offensive tackle from IMG Academy in Florida. I, I think he, he absolutely has a shot. Now, historically, we, we don't have a whole lot of defensive tackles who end up as, as the number one guy? We, we typically go with positions that are a little bit more impactful, like you know, quarterback. Obviously, is a more important position than D tackle. And Blair, I, I think that's probably more true than ever uh, because of, of how the game of football is trending. Right? It's a passing game now. You you, you throw the ball. I I don't see us ever really having a a, a guy who's a better run stopper than he is a pass rusher uh, at, at the top of our rankings again, unless the you know the, the game were to change, but that said, Tater's a guy who does offer a lot of pass rush ability uh, from from the interior, you know, alignment, and that's something that can really impact the game, even in today's game. So if he goes out there and has a huge senior season, I, I think it's it's very possible. You know, and, and there's a lot of schools who are are in it for him. Obviously, Florida, Miami, Georgia, Alabama, uh, just to name a few, and that that's a recruiting battle that I expect to go. Uh, to the wire. So I, I think right now I would favor the Gators uh, for him, which would be a huge uh, win for Florida, a, a school that has struggled to you know, capitalize in state on, on its recent on-field success uh, as much as, as their fans would, would like to have. But 
I guess the, the answer to the question, yeah, I think he's got a shot. I, I, I don't think it's likely, but if you're already at number four entering your senior year, it's it's certainly possible, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And so right now, about 30 spots separate him from the next defensive tackle, who would be Damon Payne uh, out of the state of Mississippi, um, you know, or out of the state of Michigan, sorry. And and the, the thing about, I, I guess, looking at Leonard Taylor and whether or not he can he can leapfrog guys like JT Tomaloao, guys like Corey Foreman and JC Latham. Uh, his, his tape is just going to be, ha- have to be that much better than theirs. Uh, when you look at their senior film, when you, you know, when we get out to see them eventually in the camp setting or, or in a game, uh, he's just going to have to pop more than those guys. And, and JT, when we talk about staying power, you mentioned it earlier, he's had a lot of staying power the last couple of years. I mean, every time we see him in person, his film's looking phenomenal. Corey Foreman, we saw him earlier this offseason as well. He was the best player at a showcase, uh, and he has the likes of LSU, Clemson, uh, USC, a bunch of schools after his signature. And then J.C. Latham made a, a nice little rise in our top 24-7. He's been you know, also in contention to be uh, among the number one you know, guys in, in the rankings. So there, there's a, there's a definitely a possibility there. Uh, but I think when you put those films and those tapes side by side, he's just going to have to be that much better, especially being a defensive tackle. Ultimately, I, I do think Latham probably has the, the best shot uh, to finish there it, in the non quarterback division, simply because like we, we know offensive tackle is a premium position and you just don't see guys with that level of size, athleticism, and an upward trajectory, right? Like you got to remember, JC has only played offensive line for one year. He was a defensive end and a basketball kid before that. So, like we 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 love what he is right now, but we do project quite a bit of future growth, maybe not physically, uh, but in his game because he's becoming more acclimated to, and learning the position and playing it more. Like that, I think that's why. Like if I had to bet on it. I still think it might be a quarterback, uh, but if, if I had to go non-QB, I, I'd probably go Latham. All right, so that's Bud Elliott. You could follow him on Twitter, at Bud Elliott3. He's a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. Thank you so much for joining us, Bud. All right, Blair, take it easy. Moving on to our next set of questions, we're going to bring on the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. Brandon, how are you doing, sir? I'm sad. It's gray. It's 4th of July weekend. I can't go anywhere. <laughs> the weather's not good. Is it? This is is it really? Is it really not good? It, it, it's not. Usually, this is where all the suckers from outside of the state come to Washington, fall in love with the weather, and then get shocked when, from you know, September till May, the weather's not good. But right now, we got September to Mayish weather, right? And I'm not, and I'm not happy. Yeah, typically, whenever I've been up in Seattle and around this time in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like it's a it's it's a great weather weather's time for for you to go up there, catch the breeze off the ocean, you know, be able to kind of breathe clean air as well. That's always a good good sign. Exactly. This is usually that time of year where you know you go to a Mariners game; they're already eliminated from the playoff race, but the tickets are cheaper, and you get a good seat when the Angels come to town. <laughs> and I can't even do that this weekend. Oh man! Oh man! Well, maybe soon. We got baseball coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, let's stay in the state of Washington, Huff. This is why we brought you on. Our first question comes from Artem FB. He asks: Ohio State has the top class in the country. What is the likelihood? that they land the big fish in Washington and who could present issues for the Buckeyes. Thanks for the show. So the two big fish, assuming that he's discussing or, or bringing up JT Tuimoloao, the number one prospect in the country, and then five-star receiver Emeka Ibuka. 
Yeah, I think right now that Ohio State still is in a good spot for both after getting G. Scott Jr. to commit and sign with the Buckeyes on Christmas Day in 2018. Who would have thought, you know, almost two years later that those ramifications would continue to have an impact in the Evergreen State. And right now, my crystal ball is still on the Buckeyes for both JT and Emeka. I would say that I haven't had enough to sway my crystal ball, but I also haven't had enough to tick those confidence points up for either. I think I'm at about a five for a Mecca with Ohio State, and I think I'm at a one uh, for Ohio State and JT. But right now, I would say the Buckeyes are still in the lead for both. But there is some competition for, for both those guys, as you would imagine, with one being the number one player in the country and one being the number one receiver in the country. Obviously, you can't count out the, the hometown Washington Huskies for either. Uh, JT was offered by the Huskies week three of his freshman year, so they've been on in the longest. They've also offered him for basketball. But Oregon, USC, Michigan, Alabama, Oklahoma are all making a push for him as well. Uh, and then with Emeka, it's a four-team race. It's Ohio State, Oklahoma, Washington, and Clemson. I would say Clemson six months ago was the leader, and right now I'd probably put them at about a distant fourth. And so it's really Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Washington for him. But don't count out Oklahoma. If Caleb Williams ends up committing there this weekend, as all signs are seemingly pointing to, that's going to give the Sooners something really compelling. Emeka does work out some with Sam Heward, uh, who is the number one dual – or I'm sorry, number one pro-style quarterback in the country, while Williams is the number one dual threat. So both schools will have a compelling case in terms of a quarterback, but he's also got a great relationship with the Ohio State coaching staff. So I think there's a lot of twists and turns along the way for both those schools. JT's got more schools involved than Emeka does, uh, but right now I think the Buckeyes still, for both those guys, are at least in the pole position. You know, what's interesting, and, and obviously this is a non-traditional recruiting cycle given the current ongoing recruiting dead period, but I feel like maybe there would have been more movement for both of those players in a, a normal year, right? Where they're able to go out and take visits in the spring. They're able to go out and see some schools in the summer, go out to some spring games, things like that, that I feel like would have set other programs apart, even uh, affected the way maybe the crystal ball is, is trending. Uh, I just feel like we're in a, maybe in a stagnant, stagnant state, especially for the elite prospects. And I think that is the perfect description of Emeka is when you look at where Oklahoma stands of the final four schools, they're the only ones he hasn't visited yet. And he's taken in a, a Zoom visit, a virtual visit, but the Sooners are there in the top four without ever having him on campus. He was supposed to visit in April, was going to go out and take an official visit, was going to bring his father out with him. And that was going to really be Oklahoma's chance. So the fact that they're in the final four side of the scene is something that I think Oklahoma fans are optimistic about. JT, on the other hand, you know, this is a guy who's played a lot of AAU basketball, plays for Seattle Rotary, one of the top AAU teams on the West Coast. He's been in the Nike EYBL Basketball League. So the spring's always been dedicated to basketball for him. This was the spring that basketball is going to take a little bit of a step back and he was going to hit the road and do some official visits and do some unofficial visits. So you're absolutely right. This spring was really where elite athletes were gearing up to try to pare down their recruitment. I mean, with the way recruiting is so expedited with, you know, both those players had offers as freshmen. These guys have been recruited for two or three years. They're ready to cut their recruiting list down earlier and earlier, but without the opportunity to see a lot of these schools, and JT has seen less schools than Emeka, you're now seeing a byproduct of that with both being willing to kind of take this out a little longer. 
We're joined by Brandon Huffman. He's the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. You could follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. Huff, before we let you go, another question. This one from five underscore zero underscore three. He says, great stuff, Blair. Love the West of the rest, but this pod may even may even be better. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, Huff. Uh, but who, who do you see winning the Pac-12 recruiting title this year? Is it USC or Oregon or anyone else? And what range do you see them finishing? Top five, five to 10, 10 to 15. Like I said, love the content. Keep up the episodes. Let's not gloss over the fact that Best of the West was one of the great, late, great shows of our generation, Blair. It was what it, what it lacked in longevity, it made up for with it was, ingenuity it was and simpler creativity. Times. Wasn't it simpler times back, back before the, the pandemic? Times. You could say the Rona ruined us. I mean, I'm going to. <laughs> but hey, I'm I'm happy for you and the new national show. I think it's great because you obviously been a awesome host, and so you deserve all that's coming your way. And I'm just glad I get to be reunited with you to answer questions like, "Hey, who's going to win the Pac-12 recruiting cycle?" Because that was questions we got on the West of the rest. So let's hear it now. Right now, I like where USC is sitting, but I also think Oregon has positioned themselves to close probably stronger than USC, which is interesting given that one of the big themes that we've seen out West especially is, you know, with the pandemic and the inability, as we talked about, the inability to get on the road and see trips or to see schools and less trips being taken, that's helped a lot of the schools in bigger areas where they have more recruits in the backyard who maybe feel like staying home is the better option. And I think that obviously it's no, no shock to anybody to hear this, but Southern California has more recruits than the state of Oregon does. So you would think USC would be better positioned, but you know, the way Oregon has really just stormed through the spring and there's still a lot of key guys that are either trending towards them, that they're still in the mix for down the stretch. I think Oregon is positioning themselves to win the PAC 12 recruiting battle, but you know, USC right now has as good of a shot as anybody because of where they stand in the Pac-12, but you can't sleep on Washington entirely because if they can get the momentum back and start pulling in some of those in-state guys that are in the top 150, in addition to Sam Hewitt, if you get an Owen Prentice, if you can land a JT to a Malawal and a Mecca Igbuka, that's three top 10 guys in the composite. That helps your, your, your class really build the momentum. So depending on how Washington does with the in-state guys, they could make a case. But right now, I would say July, early July, I, I like where the Ducks are heading because I just think that they're positioned to close uh, even better than any other school in the conference. Yeah, given some of the fish that are still out there, we touched on it with Ohio State. Oregon has a lot of top-tier targets. You're talking the number one offensive tackle in the West region, like a guy like Kingsley Suamataia from the state of Utah, uh, and and several others that they're trending up for as well on the crystal ball. So it's going to be interesting. I know Washington, right? Like you said, has some of the some of the targets still on the board. I'm not sure there's anyone else. You UCLA is number four right now in the Pac-12. Cal is number five right now in the Pac-12. Uh, but when you look at the average per commit in terms of rating, uh, Oregon stacks up number one, USC is number two. And a lot, I think, will indicate or be indicative of what happens on the field. We don't know what the season's going to look like. We don't know uh, the status of Clay Helton. I mean, that's, gonna, that's one of the biggest shadows that has cast the, this pandemic. We, we forget that Clay Helton is, is essentially under fire at USC. 
And that's the, the been the fascinating thing is that USC has done a really good job of, you know, reminding folks that, hey, there's two different seasons. There's the season and then there's recruiting season. And right now the recruiting season's going really well for them. But it wasn't long ago that the fans and the local media was in an uproar that he was getting that second year and he wisely made some assistant coaching changes. But will that translate to success on the field this fall? That remains to be seen. We're going to talk a little bit more USC with Greg Bing. It's coming up. But Huff, thank you so much for joining us. He is the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. Again, stay right here. You're, you're about to catch up with Greg Biggins. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, a special edition of the mailbag episode. And, and, and who better to have on and to kick off our second segment than the very special Greg Biggins. Greg, how are you doing? Hey, man, it's, it's always good to be the guy to kick off the second segment. So not, not quite <laughs> the first, but I'll, I'll take whatever I can get. Good to talk to you, Blair. Well, you're still hitting lead off in the second inning. There, I think you that, you're, you're setting the table now. There you uh, go. Greg Biggins. We've got a lot to, to discuss. Two questions for you. Let's kick it off with a, a question from Gunner955. He asks, do you think Jake Garcia decommits? And if so, what schools do you think he will look at? U uh, USC commit Jake Garcia uh, being the topic here. Obviously, the Trojans have two commitments now at the quarterback position after landing Miller Moss recently. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, Gunner, I forgot the numbers, number scheme there, but uh, nine five five, nine five five. You know, I, I hope not. I, I would love to see him stay at USC and and see those two guys go at it. You know, they're very familiar with each other, being not just from Southern California, but you know, actually kind of in the in a similar region, and have actually worked out together before. So they're very familiar. And I know when he committed to USC, that was you know the dream school. He basically got the jump on on every other quarterback in the 21 class. He got wind that Bryce Young was getting ready to, to decommit, and he actually silently committed. And then the day after Bryce went ahead and went public, he went ahead and went public with his commitment to USC. So I, I would love to see him stay committed and watch those two guys going at it. But there is a lot of legs to the rumors. And as far as the school, you know, I, I, th I would say watch out for Miami. I think there is some real interest, obviously on Miami's end. You know, they never stopped. That was uh, the runner-up. In fact, I actually had a crystal ball into Miami, Blair, uh, for Jake Garcia. And then, 
uh, you know, once I got wind that he was going to go ahead and commit to USC, I changed it. But Miami is, still has a lot to offer. Uh, Jake has visited two times, loved it both times. You know, there was some buzz for UCLA. Uh, part of that was because he had a girlfriend who runs track there. I, I feel really weird and, uh, you know, a little, uh, I don't know, inquirer for even saying this, but they are no longer dating. So UCLA is out. Um, man, that was weird talking about a, a <laughs> girlfriend. So I, I don't think he's going to stick in, in LA if he does decommit. I think watch out for Miami, but I do think USC right now is where he would like to be. And he has some, he has some pretty strong roots with the Trojan, Trojan, Trojan program. Greg Biggins, national recruiting analyst, also doubles as a paparazzi uh, member, which is <laughs> pretty interesting, especially in LA, Greg. Really? You, you got you to, right? You got to, right? You got to have to be a little TMZ-ish if you're in LA and covering SoCal kids. Yeah, 100%. The next question, Greg, uh, comes from Benny Mac 23 His question is, is the pro model or pro style actually getting to these players' heads, or is it really not working? Also, it was rumored a while ago that ASU was leading for Damani Jackson. Is that still true? So he's asking about Arizona State's okay. pro model, their NFL model. Obviously, Herm Edwards, when he took took the helm there in Tempe, he said that he was going to model the team and the program as an NFL organization, as a franchise. He's going to be the, the CEO at the top of the mountain and overlooking all different parts and, 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 and departments of that, of that program. Uh, is that working in recruiting? What is your take? No, I think they're doing well. And I'll be honest, you know, it pains me to say again, uh, but I was a little skeptical when Herm Edwards first got hired. I was kind of thinking, God, you know, he's so far removed from coaching, hasn't ever coached in college, but I think he's done a, a really good job. I think kids love him. He's exactly, you know, what he seems, you know, the kind of guy who portrays himself in some of the press conferences, a lot of intensity, a lot of passion. That's who he really is. So I think he's hired a, an excellent staff, a lot of a lot of young guys that recruit uh, their you-know-what's off. And I, I think the model is, is working. They're getting kids. Uh, they're doing a great job of evaluating. Antonio Pierce, the recruiting coordinator, has done a really nice job. And, yeah, they, they have a, a hands-on OCDC. Herm's a little more hands-off. Like you said, kind of a CEO running it from, you know, I guess like it's like a Bobby Bowden type of deal. Let the coaches coach, and he oversees everything. So I, I think ASU is doing – really, really well. You know, as far as Domani, you know, I heard that, but I never really bought into that. I'll be honest. You know, for me, uh, I, I know locally, you know, USC is always the school that you're going to hear mentioned the most. And I think he's totally fine leaving home if that's the best option for him. You know, when Clemson offered him, he said, shoot, he actually said it, you know, Clemson is now up there with USC. So uh, no mention of USC or excuse me, of ASU. Um, when he told me that, he said, Clemson, uh, I know Ohio State is high on the list. I know Michigan is actually the childhood dream school. Uh, Chris Hawkins, who's the ASU DB coach, has probably been recruiting Damani longer than anybody from when he was at USC. And obviously the connection there, Chris Hawkins, is the son of Armand Hawkins, who runs Ground Zero, and Damani is a Ground Zero guy. So there is a connection there. Um, but I don't get the sense that ASU is leading for Damani at this time. Long way to go, though. Domani Jackson being one of the best defensive backs in the 2022 class, so he's got a long way to go. Before I let you go, Greg, uh, I did want to ask you about maybe the potential for ASU's recruiting because we're on the topic. Obviously, they, they had a really good season last year with a, with a true freshman at quarterback in Jaden Daniels. How much do you think they need to win on the field to continue to, to threaten the likes of Oregon and USC and even Washington for the Pac-12 crown when it comes to recruiting? 
Yeah, I mean, they have to win. And, and that's what they're selling. They're saying, hey, come to ASU. We have an NFL coaching staff, not just, you know, I mentioned Pierce, but, you know, they have several former NFL coaches, obviously Herm, and, and they're selling, hey, come here. We're going to develop you better. And we're going to win a lot of games. And, and right now, Oregon, you know, or, Oregon wasn't able to recruit like this until they started to win and, and win big. People used to talk about Oregon and all with the facilities at Nike. Until they started to win on the field, they never really recruited that well. And obviously, USC always going to have the, the, the home field advantage on some of the California kids in Washington. You know, they, they have kind of a rep of, you know, developing and getting guys to the NFL. So if you're ASU and you're competing with that, uh, yeah, you, you have to win. So you can sell that to kids. Uh, kids, that just, again, not to be insulting, but even in-state kids, they didn't grow up, you know, w- with ASU as their dream school. You know, they, ASU struggles to recruit the in-state kids, especially kids from the, you know, loaded Saguaro program. So uh, if you really want to attract those guys, you, you got to win games. And for them to, you know, with Jaden Daniels, you don't want to say they have a two-year window because he's going to be three and out and hopefully a first-round pick. But I think this is a key year for ASU. If they win eight, nine, even ten games maybe, um, yeah, I think they're going to recruit well. If they struggle and win, you know, four or five, then I, I think that the sales pitch, it's, it's not going to be as effective, obviously. Greg Biggins, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Biggins. I think that was a stand-up double, Greg, for, for your leadoff here in this segment. I, I think you're in scoring position now. You. You got us off on the right foot. Hey, Mike Trout, I'm, I'm still in third. I'm going to still home. So right. I'll, I'll take the double and, and we'll go from there. <laughs> we'll take it, Greg. All right. Appreciate you and uh, take care. Hopefully we see each other again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Blair. Moving on to our next set of questions here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast Mailbag Edition. We're, it, this is last, but certainly not least. Barton Simmons, the Director of Scouting for 24-7 Sports, joins us. Barton, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, yeah, ready, ready for my first debut on the pod. I'm excited to, to get in here and, and uh, talk shop for a little bit. You know, we've been itching to have you on, but you're, you're busy. You're a busy man, a director of scouting. Like I said, you're also the co-host of the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. You're also a co-host of the Barton and Bud Podcast. Uh, you're on the selections committee to the All-American Bowl. I mean, we've been diving into these rankings calls, updating the 2021 Top 24-7. This past week, we met for the the update to the 2022 rankings, which are coming out later this month. I mean, you're, you're a busy guy, so I've, I've been trying to take it a little easy on you. I've been using the other resources. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously happy to come on, though, and, and excited to come on. You've been doing an awesome job with the pod, so I'm, I'm pumped to see the growth. And um, it's been, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a bit of a grind here through the last couple months. Uh, our weekly calls, uh, are, uh, we, we get after it. There's, you know, three plus hours a week at least. Um, and, uh, it's been good to get all the different perspectives together. Um, so I'm, I'm, uh, you know, with, with that added to everybody's plate, you know, that that's, that's been, has been a time suck, but I think it's been worthwhile. That leads me to our first question for you in our mailbag. It comes from Phil Badu, 02. How is the evaluations process changing in the current cycle with no camps? Yeah, I, I actually think that this has like been very energizing in terms of the way we've been able to approach the evaluation process this cycle because, look, there's, there's no question we are missing a piece of the puzzle. Uh, the, the spring evaluation period is gone, not only for us, but for colleges. and us getting out to spring games and practices is big, but I think even more valuable than that is, is collecting all of the information and Intel from 
college coaches that we talk to, personnel directors we talk to in, in terms of what they're getting and, and bringing that into our, our, the picture and, and, and our knowledge base. And so we don't have that. Obviously, we, we don't have track times. We don't have jump numbers, shot put discus numbers. We don't have combine testing numbers, verified heights. Um, uh, we don't have the one-on-ones. We don't have seven-on-sevens. Like we don't – all of those things fill in massive gaps in our process. But in doing that and in that process and in adjusting our rankings to all that new information in real time, um, there is also, I think, a, a difficult balance to meet, which is continuing to make sure that the film – is first. And so often, like, I think when we release a ranking, we speed through the film because it's, you know, there's just so much going on. There's reporting going on. There's previous class stuff going on. We're doing a big update on a new class. Like we're trying to really kind of drink from a fire hose to, to make sure that we have all our bases covered on a new ranking updates when we're sort when it's a comprehensive overhaul and not everyone can see all the film and whatever your, whatever your, exposure is to that film and, and that update just sort of carries you through the rest of the cycle for just by the nature, no one has enough hours in the day. And so, you know, when you think about ranking and releasing uh, a new ranking, like a 2023 ranking, a sophomore ranking, a, a post-sophomore year ranking, you know, like that's, you can't just upload a file to all of our brains of like all the film in the country. Like it takes actual man hours to do all that. And I think that this cycle, because of the void, the vacuum of, uh, and, and the time that that has, has sort of allowed us the necessity of us like really digging back into the film. It's been, again, I, I would use the word invigorating to really uh, nail down and hone in on what the film is, get multiple eyes on the film like we never have before, rewatch the film, rewatch it again in the context of other players at their position, other players in their region, get feedback from college coaches that we would never have time to get before. Um, all of those things, I think, really color the picture for us in a meaningful way, in a robust way. And so, I'm not saying that our rankings are going to be more accurate this cycle than they would in a cycle where we had a bunch of camps and combines to go to, but I'm also not ruling it out. Like I really believe that much in, in sort of what we've been trying to do and, and, and our process and our meetings and all the information that our meetings provides to the group. Like to me, it's, it's been really productive and I know it's hard for people to, to, to see nothing's happened. No camps have happened. You guys are just moving guys around for clicks or whatever. And I understand that it's a reasonable perspective from the outside looking in, but I, in, like in our group, and I think you would probably agree with this just in, in, in being in this process too, Blair, like I, I feel very convicted about what we're doing and the effectiveness of it and and the progress we're making in the rankings. Every ranking is getting a little more accurate. Is it still not perfect? Certainly wasn't perfect two months ago. It's not going to be perfect in two more months and won't be perfect in February, but it's going to be more perfect than it is now. And I think that's going to be driven by the effort we're putting in into the, the film and the intel 
that were gathering from college coaches around the country that, that, that I don't know that we typically would have quite the time to dig in on. I completely agree. During a traditional recruiting cycle, we'd be at a camp one weekend, and then I'd be at a seven-on-seven the following weekend, then a quarterback showcase or a, a college camp or whatever it may be. I feel like diving into the film has allowed us to really slow the process. And when you, I, I thought you, what you mentioned there was very interesting, where you look at position by position and you start to see some tape side by side against another player at that same position, it allows you to compare it a little bit more closely. And I feel like we've gone a bit more in depth. And, you know, although, like you said, there aren't any in-person evaluations or at least it's been limited for the most part, I do feel like we get a better sense of, of how things are. And look, college coaches are doing the same thing. I mean, they, right. they've been they've been handcuffed in, in this cycle and, and we're seeing a, a trend right now where we're on pace for a record breaking in terms of commitments at this stage in the recruiting cycle. So it hasn't slowed down colleges. It hasn't slowed down the amount of offers that are going out, the evaluations, the way that coaches are now approaching the, this process, given the circumstances. I feel like it's it's been a, a very interesting and, and obviously it's it, it's something that there is no blueprint for. Uh, but I, I feel like you said, really confident the way we've approached the, the whole process. The next question Barton, before we let you go, it comes from Iceman underscore 24-7. I like this handle there. Uh, it's an international recruiting question. This is the first year I've seen an international tab in the States drop on the 24-7 uh, sports player rankings. International recruits are a larger part of college basketball. Do you think that recruiting internationally will become a significant factor in recruiting in the next couple of years in college football? Uh, yeah, so I went to Amsterdam last spring. Um, to cover super, super jealous, by the way, of that, of that <laughs> exactly. trip. We get the Polynesian bow out here out west, and, and that's Hawaii, and that's perfect. But there's something mythical and, and awesome about saying, oh, I went to Amsterdam for a college showcase. It was sick. It was, it was really cool. And I, and I think that if, if not for the pandemic, I might have found a way to get over to Europe again, maybe in August, um, for another event. And it was, I mean, it's, First of all, going to that event in Amsterdam was about, and I'm not talking about seeing the sights in Amsterdam, I'm talking about being at the camp was probably the most enjoyable camp I've covered because those kids are so hungry to be a part of the process. Like they, they, they are over here reading 24-7 and, um, you know, watching YouTube videos of players and following the rankings. And they're just like having a profile for those guys is like such a huge deal and so meaningful. And, and so to sort of get over there and just include them in the process was, was very, was, was fun. And sitting there after the camp, there was like a line of like 40 kids just waiting in line to come up and, and not just shake my hand and thank me for coming, but all of them wanted to know, what can I do better? How can I improve? And just like that hunger, I think, is what's really, if, if anything, like appealing about recruiting in Europe. Um, I, I don't think that it's going to be like basketball, at least not anytime soon, because it's just such a long way to go in terms of the polish, the infrastructure out there, the coaching and all that sort of thing. But you can definitely find some unique athletes. You can definitely find some big bodies. And for the right guys, you know, you can, you can get some steals. And so I think for the right program, too. I don't think Alabama ever – it's ever worth it for them to go out there 
or Ohio State. Um, you know, Penn State's dabbled out there, and I think that's sort of a reflection maybe of, you know, just what's their local recruiting base and, 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 and you know, is it worth them being the big fish out in Europe and getting the best player every year or, is, or going down to Florida and, and having the battle against Florida State, Miami, and Ohio State and Alabama? Like, they seem to find a little bit of value in it. But again, I think even that would just be sort of a one guy a year, one guy every couple of years sort of thing. But West Virginia, I mean, they're going to go on like three straight years of having a European kid at, at least. Um, UMass, a school like that, has been, you know, really leaning in to that, that pipeline. You know, even, you know, where I played, Yale, they got this kid, Teo Falk, who was the, one of the best players I saw out there, who was big, long, tested really well, defensive end. He wouldn't shock me at all if in four years he's, he's getting drafted out of Yale. And they've got a guy – they've got a couple guys now. I think Yale's had a few guys drafted over the last five or six years, and um, their, their best shots are getting drafted now. I think one guy's from, like, South Africa, another guy's from, you know, England or something like that. And so if you – again, if you have – the opportunity, if you have the sort of, um, if you're in that, that, that sweet spot where it makes sense to take a high upside kid that might take a while to develop, but is worth it on the back end, then there's absolutely an appeal there. And those kids are incredibly mature and, and kind of worldly in their view and their perspective too. And so they, they come in, they work hard, you know, there's always a chance to get homesick, I guess, but those guys are so hungry. Like it's, it's, it's a really, it's it's a fascinating approach, and so I, I again that's a long answer to me saying I don't think that it's going to be some massive movement where every school has a European recruiting coach now, but I think it does make sense for a couple of schools strategically to attack Europe like they have been doing, and I, I, you know I guess the jury is still out a little bit as to what you know how much that payoff is going to be there long term, but. Um, there's definitely some schools that are finding some value in it right now. For the sake of your frequent flyer miles account, I hope that it becomes more of a, uh, of a thing, right. And we can get you back to Amsterdam here real soon. Me too, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I need to, the, the next camp may be in Frankfurt. I think okay. they mess around with that. Uh, yeah. someday maybe I can get to Nigeria. I don't know if I'm quite, if I'm quite ready for that yet, but we'll, we'll work up to that. All right, so that's Barton Simmons. He's the director of scouting for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. Barton, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Blair. All right, so if you want your question answered on the next episode of our mailbag edition here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, remember to leave your question in a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. For Bud Elliott, for Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman, and Barton Simmons, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Stay safe, everyone, on this 4th of July weekend, and have a good one. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.